If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Ephesians, chapter 1. We begin reading at verse 15. There the Apostle Paul wrote, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for letting us have it in our own language, that we might read it. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would grant to us understanding and reception, Lord, and faith as in reference to your word. Help us to understand what you have said, Lord. We pray you'd also help us, Lord, to take it to our hearts and minds. And we pray, Lord God, that you would give us grace to believe your word, to trust you, and by the grace of your Holy Spirit working in us to act upon it. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves into your hands at this time, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, Paul starts off this chapter at the beginning, if you remember, with uh, the praise or an inscription of praise to God. Uh, first he greets them, in the first verse, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Speaking to the same group of people, but they were saints. The word saint is from the Greek word hagioi, and it means uh, holy or separated. And so they are separated ones or holy ones unto God. And, you know, because when you're separated, you're separated from something to something. And so... They're separated from the world and from sin and from condemnation and all the things that sin brought about, and they're separated unto God. And everyone who's a believer is a saint. You know, it's not a special class of super Christians like some have thought. So he writes to them as saints and as faithful, because those who are holy are also um, the objects of God's grace, and God is working in us, teaching us to be covenant keepers and faithful to his word and promises and also faithful to one another. So that's who he addressed. So then he praises God. First he extends the blessing, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and then blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on and he talks about God's election and his predestination, that he is absolutely sovereign over everything. And that means he can be fully trusted. There's no chance in the universe. You know, if there was, it would mean that there's something that Maybe God didn't take into consideration. It could just overthrow everything that he's planned. doesn't happen. God is absolutely sovereign. You know, he's a different sort of being than we are. That's 
shouldn't even have to say that, but because people have a tendency to think in terms of what's called anthropomorphisms, uh, that is, they, they think about God in their own category, and if something they can't do, they just can't conceive how God could do it. But God is a different sort of being. He's omniscient. He knows everything. It's no effort for him to do this. This is just who he is. He knows everything about everything. In the creation, he knows it because he ordained everything to be what it is in relationship to everything else. And this is what Paul is saying. He's predestinated us. He works all things according to the purpose of his own will, uh, which he purposed, Paul says, in himself. God didn't check with the creature first. Uh, God does his will. And elsewhere in Scripture, it says he does what he wants to in the heavens and uh, and in the earth. And so we're speaking here of God's decretive will, how history unfolds itself. God gave to us his preceptive will. So he told us that's his commands and, and precepts that he gives to us so we know what we're to do and how we're to act and to, what we're to believe. But Paul praises him, and he praises God for the, the glory of his grace, he said, and that's why he saved us. And then he says in verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So Paul lets us know when he's praising God for all of his goodness, that that goodness found us out in the fact that Christ came into the world and died for us, and when he died and took the hell that we deserve upon himself and died the death that we deserve, um, his blood was shed, and we have redemption through his blood. And if someone's wondering, well, what exactly does redemption mean? It tells you the forgiveness of sins. Our sins have been forgiven. God will not remember our sins against us if we're in Christ. According to the riches of his grace, that means 100%. You know, we've talked about this before in reference to the resurrection. Paul speaks of the resurrection in the second half of this chapter we just read. But the fact that Christ has risen from the dead means that all of your sins were paid for. And I say this a lot. It's like Gospel 101, very important truth. You know, young and old need to hear this. Christ died because your sins were imputed to him. 100% of all your sins and mine, all of God's elect, his chosen ones, you could say believers, but you know, we're not yet all the elect are in that condition yet. We're waiting for all the elect to be called in. But God knows his own. The Lord knows those who are his. And so all the elect, all the sins of all the elect were placed on Christ. That's why he legally became subject to death and hell. That's why he suffered. That's why his blood was shed. And the fact that God then on the third day raised up his son for us, I've said this before, but please don't forget it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's testimony to you that every sin that was placed on Christ was fully atoned for, and death no longer could hold him because he took away our sins. So that's why when we trust in Jesus, we have the full forgiveness of sins. Now, when this truth comes to us you know, as believers whose hearts have been born again, or our spirits are regenerated, it doesn't translate over into, well, I guess I can go ahead and sin then because, you know, all my sins are paid for, so whatever I do, I don't have to worry about going to hell. That's not what a saved person is going to be thinking. And by the way, if a saved person was to think that, God would deal with them in pretty short order, okay? We have a lot of foolishness comes into our heads sometimes, and sometimes when we're tempted, we might think like, oh, well, I can go ahead and sin because, you know, Christ died for all my sins, so I guess it's okay if I yield to this one. That's not the way you should be thinking. You know, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And so 
if we start thinking uh, foolish thoughts, atheistic thoughts, or just thoughts of rebellion, we'll find ourselves under God's fatherly displeasure, and he, he does chasten us, and he teaches us to learn to hate sin. But when we have that work of grace really functioning in our hearts, and we realize, wow, Jesus loves me, God loves me, all the stuff I'm going through is, I'm, I'm going to be okay. Even if I die, I'm going to be okay because I'm going to be raised up when Jesus comes back. So it's going to work out. And all the sufferings we have to go through right now, none, there's no wrath of God in any of it because that was taken care of at the cross. So anything I'm going through right now is because God's working in me and he wants me to glorify him in my sufferings. He's working in me, teaching me to turn from sin. He puts you know a restraint on me sometimes. So I trust him and flee from temptation. He shows me not just the sinfulness of sin, but how ugly it is and how vile. Makes me learn to hate it and despise it. Um, he's at work, and that's good, because he's conforming me and you to the image of Christ. And so things are, are good. So Paul praises God, and he says that um, God's going to gather up everything in Christ, whether in heaven or in earth. And then he says in verse 11, In him we've obtained an inheritance, being predestined according note to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And then he goes on and says that in verse 13 and 14 that after he's writing to the Ephesians, he says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When the gospel came to you, as Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, our, our word didn't come to you in just or the gospel in word only, but in power and in much assurance and in the Holy Spirit. God changed your hearts when you heard the gospel. Things became different in you because you were brought out of spiritual death into life. You were born again. And, and by the way, if you're not sure where you are spiritually, then call on the Lord today. If you go, I don't know if I've had that, that work of grace done in me. Don't assume that because, you know, I've been baptized or I partake of the Lord's Supper or people think I'm a Christian, and you know, etc. If you're not sure where you stand, the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you do that, it's by his grace. But if you can say today, no, I, I have trusted in Christ. I know he's at work in me. Well, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And the seal means that mark of ownership has been put upon you. You have the Spirit. And we talked about this last week that... Uh, the mark of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, God gives gifts also. There's the gifts of the Spirit, but the gifts can be counterfeited. Uh, the grace of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, can't be, you know. Um, you might have seen, you know, they used to call it wax fruit because they used to make really pretty peaches and apples and grapes and oranges made them out of wax. I don't know if you ever saw any of those. I saw a few in my younger days. Uh, and then they got the plastic stuff well enough where they could make it look pretty real. And I've seen some stuff lately, too, that you, know, you look at it and you, you want to take a bite out of it. But you find out real quick, that's not the real thing, okay? Um, some people fake the graces of the Holy Spirit a little bit, but the veneer wears off quickly. And the proof of the fruit in this case, not the pudding, but the proof of the uh, fruit is, is in the taste. And you see the perseverance of the saints. So we want to make sure that the work of grace that we have is a true work of grace and not just uh, us being you know, courteous and well-mannered. Uh, the, the world can do that. Unregenerate people are generally polite. Uh, but we want to recognize, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love to God and love to my brothers and sisters. It translates over into good works. 
in prayer for them and, and to love the saints and help helping each other in a community of believers. But the Holy Spirit's at work in, in God's people. We've been sealed, and he told the Ephesians, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. He's the down payment. Remember that um, the, uh, the the Greek word that we looked at there is a, is a Semitic word that means uh, the, the old translation have the earnest. You, that is, you, you make that down payment, and that's a promise that you're going to come back with the whole thing. God has given us the Holy Spirit in our lives as the guarantee that we're going to have that full redemption. That's why it's really important to make sure that the Holy Spirit is at work in you and that you have been born again. You know, Peter even said, make your calling and election sure. And then he goes and talks about the, the virtues that we want to be asking God about. So the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. Note, until the redemption of the purchased possession, that is until the full redemption is worked out to the praise of his glory, if you have the Spirit of God in you because you're believing in Jesus, and if you believe in Jesus, you do have the Spirit of God in you, that's God's guarantee that he's going to bring you to glory. And so all your trials and all your tribulations, you can trust him. Now, he's ordained prayer, and that's the very next thing we see here, that Paul transitions from praise to prayer, and we ought to learn to do that also. So he praises God, he commends the saints, he tells them about the wealth of all the treasures and all the beauty that we find in Christ, all the things God has done for us. You know, if you look back at verse 3, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with, now note this, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In Christ. It's all in him. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Some would say, well, then why do we need to pray? I think Matthew Henry said it best. Uh, in his commentary on this passage, he said, He, that is God, has laid up these spiritual blessings for us in the hands of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he has appointed us to draw them out and fetch them in by prayer. So they're all in the hands of Christ. Christ notices he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. God has everything for you. Now, for some people, because... You know, we, we can be and often are spiritually illiterate. Uh, you know, if you have had somebody a Bible with all the treasures of God's Word, but if they can't read, it's just paper and ink and maybe some kind of binding, hardback, leatherback, paperback, whatever, but it's of no use to them, really. It's not a good luck charm. It's not a, you know, something that's going to protect them if they keep it on the dashboard of their car or by the, their bedstead at, at night, uh, they have to be able to read it. And sometimes for us who can read, God's Word is not as open to us as it ought to be, and that the problem is not with Scripture. You know, when we go to pray before the sermons, we pray that God would open our hearts and minds to His Word, and that He would open His Word to our hearts and minds. Now here Paul in this passage is praying that God would open their understanding, that he would give them, that the, as he says in verse 18, we'll get to that in a moment, but he says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened inwardly. If you go to Luke 24, that's where Jesus opened the understanding of the apostles so that they would understand the scriptures. God has to open our understanding. And so, <clears throat> if that work is not going on, or hasn't gone on to us, Speaking of the riches of spiritual blessings, it might not mean much to us. 
because it's like, what is that? Just is that kind of like you know, pie in the sky, piety kind of stuff? It's like no, the treasures of God's covenant, of His promise, of His attributes, who He is, and what He does, all the wonderful things that He's done for us in His Son Jesus Christ. Actually, we're going to be spending eternity searching out the riches of His glory, because the depth of the truths of the gospel, the depth of who God is, the depths of what he has done for us are far beyond anything we currently realize. And sometimes we have to admit we're not that excited about it, not because it's not exciting, but because our wits are dull. Our minds are set on earthly things. We've got so much of the world in our thinking that the things of God doesn't take up much space and so it just seems like eh, we don't have much of a taste for it but the Bible says taste and see that the Lord is good and uh, when we come to him well we need to pray here's what Paul says in verse 15 therefore that, that therefore is therefore reason you know that's the old saying if when you see the word therefore ask what it's there for this is based on what he's just said about the Holy Spirit being given to believers them being sealed by the Holy Spirit all the treasures that we have in Christ says, therefore, this all being true, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, <clears throat> Paul had helped found the church in Ephesus. He'd been away for a generation, many believe, when he wrote this. And when he heard good news that, you know, these people, they really have persevered. They loved the Lord. He was happy. And that's what he said. When I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints. Interesting, the two things go together there. So he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Then he goes on and describes that. But note here, Paul prayed not just for himself to have understanding, but he prayed for the saints in Ephesus to have an, a deeper understanding, that the eyes of their understanding, uh, having been enlightened, that they would know what is the hope of his calling. So he prayed for them. You know, here's an interesting thing. When I read this, I had to ask myself, now I'm your pastor. I do, you know, try to go through the, you know, the roles, you might say, of who's uh, in our church and, and pray for each person individually. Um, but, you know, we need to learn to do this. I don't think we do it much. I know we often pray that God will help us. You know, Lord, help me. But you know, how often do we actually pray for our brothers and sisters? You know, if we, we hear of their needs, often we will. If somebody's sick or something's going on, we know they're having a, a trial, we'll pray for them. But how often do we just set time aside and just say, hey, you know, uh, Lord, please be with my brother or my sister. Give him a deeper understanding of your love and of your truth. We need to learn to do that. We need to, you know, as a community of believers, the church, the Greek word is ekklesia. That means a called out group. Um, and as we've been called out to be Christ's church, we need to learn to pray for each other and pray that God would increase our spiritual understanding and the depth of our perception. That's what Paul does here. So we can follow this example. And John says, if you pray according to his will, he'll hear you. And so if you know God wants your brothers and sisters and you to have a deeper perception and understanding of the, his love and of the truths of his word and the glory of God in Christ, well, if you pray, Lord, show me this more. He'll answer your prayer because you're praying according to his will. 
So Paul says, therefore, after I heard this, he said, I, note this, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you. The word mention there actually it can be translated remembrance, I'm making remembrance of you in my prayers. What, what was he praying? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That word knowledge, you know, we've talked in times past about the various words in Greek for knowledge. There's word for perception, uh, to perceive something, to know it. That's the, the word oida often has that idea uh, that God would give us that we need, the, a, a, a uh, ability to discern uh, who he is. But there's also the word the gnosko or gnosis where we get the word Gnostic. You know, they were a, the cult back in the early church. They believed knowledge was the key to salvation. And they got everything wrong because they claim to have secret knowledge through their rituals. You know, a lot of the uh, lodges and stuff today, like the, the Masons and other groups, you know, they have their secret rituals and some of the cults, like the Mormons, they have their temple ceremonies where you supposedly a, 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 a attain some spiritual secret knowledge that nobody else has. Jesus said what you hear in the air proclaim from the housetops. Okay, there's no secret doctrines in the Christian faith. Uh, so if you're in a group that has secret doctrines, you're not in a Christian group. Okay, we're to proclaim the truth, not have, you know, like, ooh, through our ceremonies we attain this knowledge. That's what the Gnostics did. But the word gnosis itself is not a bad word. It means knowledge. But there's that other word that we've talked about in times past, and that's epigenosis. It's the word gnosis with the preposition epi attached to it. Epi means upon, but when put with the word gnosis, it means experiential or as the Puritans would say, experimental knowledge. Not like testing it, but that you experience it. It's experiential knowledge. It's the difference between knowing there's a cake in the kitchen and then go ahead and eat some of it, okay? Uh, the first is gnosis. You know there's a cake there, but after you've tasted it, now you have epigenosis. You know, you have experiential knowledge. Uh, we can also say personal knowledge. I think Matthew Henry uses that term to describe this word. Uh, we have personal knowledge. So Paul's praying that they would not just have theoretical, abstract knowledge, but that they would have personal knowledge of who God is and what he has done. And so that's the beauty of this. He says that he would give you the spirit. And again, it's the Holy Spirit that works and he, that he would work in your spirit, a spirit of wisdom. You know, wisdom and knowledge are closely related. Um, and uh, wisdom is knowing the truth and then having the grace of God to be able to do it and to act accordingly. Fools sometimes know what's right to do. They just don't have a heart for it. A wise person, when God gives them wisdom, has a knowledge of what's right and a heart to do it. And that's what we need to pray for, that true wisdom that comes from God. So Paul prays for them that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's, by the way, the, the book of Revelation, it's the same word used to title that book, Apocalypsis. Uh, we get the word apocalypse in English, meaning revelation, that God would open it up. And that's what that means. That God would give you the opening up in the knowledge of him, that epigenosis, that, that true spiritual uh, personal knowledge, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That when he turns on the switch, when God said, let there be light, what happened? You know, somebody could say, well, why is God saying that? There's no light. Well, yes, as soon as he speaks it, it happens. God's word determines and defines reality. That's why it's so important to read the Bible and by God's grace then to pray, Lord, let me live in the world that's real. 
Let me live in the world that your word describes, because that's the real world, okay, where Christ is Lord and where uh, virtue is, you know, beautiful and where we walk together in God's grace and where the Holy Spirit's at work in us as we learn to praise God and love one another. So Paul says that he prays that the, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that God would send light into your understanding. You know, and you can walk into a, you know, in a room full of treasures, but if there's no light, you're not going to know it. You know, you ever been in a room, uh, maybe not treasure, maybe you have been. I've not been in too many treasure houses, but I've been in rooms sometimes where it was dark, and the first time I'd been in the room, and I turned the light on, all of a sudden, whoa, there's all kinds of stuff in here I didn't know about, okay? Uh, that happens at times. Sometimes in our own houses, we turn the lights on. It's like, where'd that come from or something, you know? Uh, that's pleasant, by the way, at Christmas time. Uh, God, God is saying to us here, he wants you to know what you have. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know, here again, that epigenosis, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. That's that inward call, his calling. You get the outward call when the gospel is preached. When it's proclaimed that Christ died for sinners and he rose again from the dead on the third day and God offers forgiveness of sins and eternal life to everyone who believes in him. John 3.16. That's the call of the gospel externally, I just said. The internal call is where the Holy Spirit brings that into your heart and your mind. And you go, yes, I believe that. Good friend of mine, he's with the Lord now, but uh, he was walking into a barn. He was a cowboy. He was bucking hay, he said. And they were walking into the barn and uh, he wasn't a Christian yet. And he said the guy was walking in just who was a Christian. He just turned to him and, and my friend's name was Doug. And he turned to Doug and he just quoted John 3.16 to him. That's all he did. He just quoted it. And he looked at him and he said, you do believe that, don't you, Doug? And Doug said, for, when I stepped over the threshold of that barn, something happened. Because when he said that to me, Doug had been reading the Bible, but it hadn't the, the switch hadn't gone on. He said, he said, when I stepped over the threshold, said, I said to my friend, he said, yeah, I do believe that. And he stopped, and Doug told me, he said, I stopped? I thought, yeah, I do believe that. And Doug said everything was different after that. God brought him to saving faith. His friend did the outward call. Quoted John 3.16. His friend wasn't a pastor or preacher, wasn't theologically trained other than from the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, which is the best. But when he quoted John 3.16, the Holy Spirit took that into my friend Doug's heart and caused him to be born again. And so we, the hour call is beautiful. We want to preach the gospel in all of its purity and share it whenever we have opportunity. But we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to bring those who are spiritually dead to life. So Paul here knows these people have been born again, but he says, I want you to know what is the hope of his calling. When he calls you to the gospel, he calls you by means of hope. You know those three things, faith, hope, and love. And so the gospel gives us hope. You mean, wait a minute, there's hope? My sins can be forgiven? Remember, the Holy Spirit's work is to convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So when we come under conviction, we can lose hope when we begin to see ourselves as totally depraved lost sinners deserving hell miserable wretches that have sinned against god continuously when we begin to see how sinful sin is as paul says in romans chapter 3 that by the law is the knowledge of sin when that work of the law is done in our hearts and we become convicted of our sins we realize what miserable wretches we are and then we hear the gospel that jesus christ died for sinners that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We hear that, and what does it bring forth? Hope. And that works with faith. 
And then we realize God's love to us. Because the gospel really is God's love. How does John 3.16 start? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So when we hear that, it gives us hope. Wait a minute. I, I'm a sinner. I, I know that. I, I, I know what I deserve. But God gave his son so that I don't have to perish? Well, that's when you start thinking like that, it's the Holy Spirit at work. So Paul says that you might know the hope of his calling. And it's not just that the depth of that. that you know, that's not just a one-time little thing where you go, oh, okay, I have hope. No, that's great. This means that, that you'd explore that, that it would become more and more, uh, that, that truth would prosper in your heart, in your thinking, and bear fruit. That you might know. So Paul wants him to know experientially the hope of his calling. Three things here. Note, and the, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance of the saints? Paul says, I want you to know what you have. The inheritance in the saints or among the saints. God has poured out his blessings on his church, on his people. That's why it's so important to be in fellowship with those who know the Lord and, and who are walking according to his word. It's important for us to, to join ourselves to his people. But he wants them to know... What is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? It's God's glory. It's his inheritance. But he pours it out upon his people. And Paul's saying, I want you to know this because this is yours. You're part of that. You remember, he addressed them originally as the saints and faithful in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, I want you to know this. And what is, then thirdly, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He says, I want you to know this, the exceeding uh, power of God, according to the working of his almighty power, the greatness of his power toward us. He says, Paul says, I want you to know what's going on. What is God doing? The power of God is at work in you. Now, an interesting thing, you know, God didn't use means to raise Christ from the dead. We say, well, what, what do you mean? God raised up Christ, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christ said he would raise himself. The Holy Spirit is the one that raised up Jesus, and the Father raised up Jesus. It's one God, but in the three persons of the Holy Trinity. He raised Christ from the dead, and it was the direct working of God Almighty in doing that. God raised up his son, and that's why Paul says in Romans that Jesus has been declared to be the son of God by the resurrection of the dead. God raised up Jesus directly, not through means. He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. You know, Christ didn't have to get on a spaceship to go back to heaven. Okay, God didn't use means. As the apostles were there, talking to him as he was blessing them on the Mount of Olives. He ascended into heaven. How'd that happen? By the almighty power of God. God didn't use means. They didn't have to do a ceremony. There was no sacramental thing that had to be done or something like that. Uh, or someone had to pronounce a blessing. Jesus was blessing the apostles and God took him to heaven and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Christ presently is at the Father's right hand in the heavenly realms or in the heavenly places. That's God's almighty power at work. And Paul says, I want you to know that's what's working in you. God is working directly in you. Now, he does use means in regard to the sacraments and the preaching of the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But it is God's almighty power. Paul says, I want you to know this power. I want you to experience this. I want it to be part of your life because it is. 
and for you to be personally, experientially aware of it, that God is the one who is at work. And you want to know what he's doing? Read his word. Look at his promises. That's what he's doing. He said he's going to sanctify you holy, body, soul, and spirit. He's promised to be with you in every trial. He said, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will answer you, and you will glorify me. How can he say that? Does he not? Maybe he doesn't know your circumstance, and so he spoke amiss. No, he knows your circumstances. And he's promised that if you're having difficulties, if you're struggling, he'll get you through them. Now, Paul didn't say, I pray that God would make sure that you're rich and happy all the time, that you never get sick. That, you know, Everybody that he wrote to is dead now, physically. So these believers all eventually ended, ended their lives, and God called them spiritually, called their spirits to be with him. Their bodies rest in the earth until Christ turns again. By this time, their bodies pretty much have all turned to dust. God knows how to raise the dead. How does he do that? He knew how to create the world. He knows how to, he knew how to make Adam out of dust. He knows how to raise your body. He's going to do it. That's what he's told us. The point is, is that all these promises are given to us. But there's nothing in here that, well, you know, God wants you to have a big house and a fancy boat. You know, maybe he'll give you that. I don't know. But uh, he's saying, what I want you to do, I want you to know who your Savior is. I want you to know the treasures of the wealth and the spiritual riches that are yours in Christ. And yes, this world, as Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. But what else did Jesus say? But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He wants us to know his almighty power is what we rely on. And he may be pleased to give you wealth and health and, you know, fame and have a lot of people like you, okay? But generally he said, you know, woe unto you when all men speak well of you. We went over that a few weeks ago. And blessed are you when men, you know, despise you and separate you from their company, cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. There's a cost. Jesus said, pick up your cross daily, said in Luke chapter 9, and follow him. So we are to do that. But Paul does pray that they would know what their real treasures are. Because as John says in 1 John, now are we the sons of God. Present tense, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. You know, there's no shining glory, you know, emanating from your forehead or your smile. Although it is nicer when you're smiling. But, you know, the glory of God rests upon his people. But that glory is to be manifested at the second advent of Christ fully. And right now God does help us. And there is a glory upon his saints. The, the world doesn't see it. But we know those who love the Lord, they do have that glory showing in their lives in the midst of their sufferings and troubles. Um, and so God may send us trials and tribulation and suffering in this present world, but we're just passing through, and it's just compared to eternity, it's a less than the blink of an eye. And he'll give you grace to endure. And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even when you're freaking out, <laughs> okay, uh, he'll help you. He'll get you through your trials. He's promised you that. Paul says, I want you to know this. I want you to know that... As, note, note again, verse 9, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards, and that word exceeding greatness, the Greek, it's like the superabounding greatness. It's a, it's a, a word that kind of stretches things out. Yeah, I want you to just understand how superabounding the greatness of his power toward us who believe actually is. According to the working of his mighty power, the same power that worked in bringing Jesus up from the dead when Christ, and Jesus didn't just resuscitate. Jesus destroyed death when he rose again. That's what it says in 1 Timothy. He's abolished death and brought life and immortality to the light. The almighty power of God. When Jesus rose from the dead, Paul says, he rose never to die again. 
Christ destroyed death by his resurrection. Jesus actually physically in his humanity, he's the beginning physically of the new creation. When you're born again, you're a new creature in Christ because your spirit's been born again. We await the redemption of our bodies when Christ returns. In Romans 8, we're told that's going to happen. But the new creation has already begun in Christ when he rose up from the dead. And so Christ has initiated the new creation even physically in himself. <coughs> and Paul said, that's the power that's at work in you. That's God's almighty power, and that's in work in you. Far And notice Jesus, and when Paul mentions Jesus, Matthew Henry, again, I, I, I love Matthew Henry, that's why I'm referring to him a lot. Um, but he was great, because he said, you know, Paul is Paul. God uses the, used the, the apostles, their personalities, to communicate truth here. And Paul is such that when he, when he mentions Jesus, he doesn't just go back to like, and also you guys need to, when he starts talking about Jesus, he just stays with it, okay? Because he's in love with Jesus Christ. And when Paul would mention it, that was the Spirit of God working in Paul, inspiring this. But when Paul mentions Jesus, he's like, oh yeah, there's also this truth about Jesus. Uh, he was raised from, oh yeah, and also he ascended into heaven. And by the way, he's far above all principality and power and might and dominion. He's just going on and exalting Christ. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Now and through eternity is what he's saying. And he put him, uh, he put rather all things under his feet. Note that, present tense. Christ is Lord now. And gave him to be head over all things to the church. Now that the word to there, it, it, it's a, the uh, uh, dative case in Greek. It also can be meant to the church, meaning for the church, on, their, on the church's behalf. Christ has had everything put under his feet, and he is the head over all things. No, he's head of the church, but he's also the head over all things. That's why civil rulers need to obey the Bible. You know, we, we give our civil rulers a free ride sometimes because they go, well, you know, we're not, we don't have a national religion. Well, that's fine. I'm okay with that, I guess, for now anyway. But you don't have the um, option of ignoring the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God just because you get elected to public office. Our rulers are to obey God. Remember um, John the Baptist when he rebuked Herod? Now, Herod could claim that he was the king of Israel, so there was a religious aspect to it. But it, By the way, it is interesting. It was pointed out, someone mentioned it last week, that... Uh, John the Baptist was put to death for rebuking Herod in his uh, uh, incestuous relationship with Herodias, his sister-in-law. He'd married her, and it was an unlawful union. And someone said, you know, John the Baptist died because he was defending traditional marriage, according to the Bible. You know, And uh, he stood up for the truth, and, and we ought to learn to do the same thing. But civil rulers are bound to obey God. By that I mean they're, they're bound and, and duty-bound. So Christ is over all things. He, to note, and he's above all principality and power and might and dominion. So if someone says, well, we don't have to do it, yeah, you do actually, okay? Uh, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church or for the church, which is his body, that is his people. His, his, you know, your body is what you use to do things in the physical realm. The fullness of him who fills all in all. And that's a beautiful truth. That means anything lacking in us, if Jesus is with us, then everything's we've got everything we need. I may not yet be everything I should be, but I have everything I need. And that's in Jesus Christ. Because he is the one who has all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
So Paul here writes to them and says, he turns his, his uh, praises into prayers. And so if you can praise God for who he is, well, praise him for what he's doing. And then pray for your brothers and sisters. Pray for yourself. Say, Lord, I want this. I think maybe there is a whole lot more spiritual depth that I've not experienced. Lord, give it to me. Open my understanding. Give me that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Pray for these things. God just right here very clearly says this is something he wants you to have. But he wants you to ask. Like, again, to quote Matthew Henry, all the treasures are in the hands of Christ. God wants you to draw those out and go to Jesus and say, Lord, I'd like to have that. You know, God, you say, Lord, pour out your grace. You know, again, not to, it's the fourth time I've quoted Matthew Henry. Bear with me. Uh, Matthew Henry said, for grace is glory begun. When God gives us grace, it's glory begun. And holiness is happiness in the bud. <laughs> okay? When we learn to live holy lives, and that means to love God and love others. It's not, you know, this I'm holier than thou stuff. Holiness gets a bad rap sometimes from hypocrites who claim to be holy. But I love this. Holiness is happiness in the bud. You know, when you go out and look at your trees and you see the bud, yeah, I get excited. You know, you go to you got a plum tree or an apple tree or something, you know the fruit's gonna be great. You go out, you see the bud. Oh boy, that's great. We got we got a good future here coming, okay? Um, holiness is happiness in the bud. So if God's at work in your life, conforming you to the image of Christ and putting his love in your heart, he's doing it so you'll be happy because that's who you really are. You belong to Christ and that's what he's doing. He's making you become the person you're supposed to be so you can praise him and give thanks and then pray for your brothers and sisters that that work will continue. Because we're, we're in this together as, as the family of God. But it's all through Jesus. So let's give him praise and thanks and then continue on in worshiping him. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We pray you would write it in our hearts and minds. Help us to remember it in the days ahead, even this day, and to uh, guide our prayers by it, Lord, we pray, that we learn to pray for those things that you've uh, given to us. Uh, that are in the hands of your son that you've ordained that we pray for even as Paul prayed for the saints in Ephesus Lord we pray you'd help us to pray for your church here on earth in our local assembly and also in other churches in this area that are faithful to your word Lord people that love you and throughout the world Lord just be with your people wherever they are and we do pray you would open their understanding and ours with them so that we would really perceive the glory of the truths of your word and the power, Lord, by which you're at work in us. Give us grace to really truly experience your sanctifying, saving power in our lives as we fill our hearts with love to you, and to your word, and to our brothers and sisters. And we just commit all this into your care, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you intercede for us according to the Father's will. And so we pray you'd work and pray for us, Lord, and secure those things we have need of for us. And by your spirit, apply them to our hearts. This we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.